I'm Brian Orston. Uh, I've been an elder at the Open Door um, since a couple months before COVID began. So basically, for most of us, forever. Um, for those that like to keep track of time, it's been almost two years. And uh, Pastor Steve was going to uh, share a video message with us this morning, but I was convicted um, about about this passage that we're going to share today. And uh, so I approached him and asked him if, if I could give today's message. And much to my chagrin, he agreed with me. Um, and so <clears throat> I only have a certain amount of time, so I'm going to dive right in. And if you're... If you have one of these study guides, as we're going through the book of Acts, we've barely begun. So um, I think we have, looks like we have at least 70% of the pages to go, so it's not too late to grab a book out in the back. Um, And there's plenty of spots for you to take notes if you want, or you can be like me and just scribble everywhere. Um, I used to scribble on the backs of my hands. Um, all the time, and then I got tattooed in a fire, and uh, I can't uh, take notes on the back of my hands anymore. But page 46 in the Black Study book, if you're uh, following along there. And that is an English translation. This is New Life translation. It's a, new, it's a young believer's Bible. We have... Um, Bibles available if you'd like one, um, whether you own a number of Bibles or you've never had your own Bible, um, we'd be honored um, and blessed to be able to give you one. So we're going to start, we're going to jump right in. Um, we've been, before the capital campaign, we've been studying the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church after the life and death of Jesus Christ. And uh, in chapter 7, Stephen had been called before the council um, under false accusations, but he shared he shared the message of hope and uh, the, the 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 story of the Bible um, with the council. And so I want to start in Acts chapter seven, verse fifty nine, sixty, and Acts eight, verse one. As they stoned him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't, hold, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, the blessing and the honor that you've given me this morning to share with the Open Door family. Uh, with the with the family that's online, visitors, and anyone else who might hear the message that you're bringing us today, God, I pray that I will move out of your way and allow you to speak through me directly into the hearts of each person that hears this. In Jesus' precious holy name, Amen. Excuse me. Um, and so the first thing that I get in reading that those three verses is Stephen and Saul 
both knew Scripture extremely well. Stephen, an entire chapter, chapter 7 of Acts, is Stephen reciting Scripture um, to the council. Saul was a Jew among Jews. He, he knew the Bible inside and out. Uh, and they met with others. They talked about the Bible. They talked about um, God's word. So what was so different about Stephen and Saul? That Saul was so filled with hatred and contempt for followers of Jesus that uh, to the point of he sought out beating them and killing them without mercy. While Stephen was filled with love, compassion, and a heart for others. Why so different? Why were they so incredibly different? And uh, to get that, we need to look at Acts chapter 7, verse 55. And I apologize for... uh, we have such incredible worship here um, that sometimes your emotions can get the best of a person. And, uh, and I was, had some tears, and so now, now I uh, have the uh, consequences of having tears. Um, but Acts chapter 7, verse 55 says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And that was the difference. Stephen had a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Saul had incredible head knowledge. He knew the Bible inside and out. They didn't have the New Testament at that time, but they did have the entire Old Testament. He knew the Bible inside out. He was, in, he was a leader of the, uh, of the council. Stephen, on the other hand, had wonderful Bible knowledge. Maybe couldn't match Saul's Bible knowledge, but Stephen had Bible knowledge in his head that had become transformed in his heart. Stephen had a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Saul did not. And that was the difference. Let's continue with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 8, I apologize. Verses 2 through 4. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And here's the hope. But the believers, the followers of Christ, who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And I read that. And logically, if you're being hunted, if I'm being hunted, I'm going to be quiet, I'm going to go into hiding. And I'm not going to draw attention to myself. So how? How could these believers talk about the good news of Jesus wherever they went when their lives were upended and they had to literally scatter everywhere as they were being hunted? 
How was their faith so strong that they couldn't help but share what Jesus had done in their lives wherever they went at great risk? And I'm not going to read the the verses, but if we walk back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see how their faith had become so strong, helped because as a follower of Jesus Christ, trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, they had received the Holy Spirit into their heart, into their, into their body. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Holy Spirit is a seal guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. If you're a Christ follower, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, You've been transformed. You've been renewed. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God is inside of you. And and could we stop there and live our life merrily, happily ever after? We we could. Um, Our faith wouldn't grow. Because God lives inside of us, he expects us to have a relationship with us. He wants us. He desires us to have a relationship with us. And the people of Acts chapter 8 that shared the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, they met together in one place. They hung out together. They spent time at each other's homes. They shared meals. They shared communion together, the Lord's Supper together. They spent time praying Together and alone. They spent time listening and learning God's word. They worshiped together. And for us, for our faith to grow, we need to do the same things. Um, As a follower of Christ, trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, But that relationship won't grow if we don't spend time in God's word if we uh, neglect to talk to God, to pray to God. As followers of Christ, we need to do the work of staying in relationship with Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, God reminds us to work out our salvation. And we need to listen very closely to God's words, to the words that are written in God's word, the Bible. He says, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Working out our salvation is we're living out the reality of what's inside of us. God is inside of us. We're living out that reality, and he wants us to do that. It's not something to be hidden. It's not something to be neglected. So that we too, if that day ever comes, and the world is changing, and we all see it, But if the day ever comes where persecution or suffering comes to our lives, and for some of us it has, um, but when we cultivate that relationship, we'll be prepared just like Stephen and the early followers of Jesus in the church were in the book of Acts. They, They didn't start out years earlier going, well, this, you know, we know something bad is going to happen to us, so we'd better get ready. They lived in relationship 
with Jesus. And when something bad did happen, they stayed in a relationship with Jesus. My wife, Jenny, and I, um, we were high school sweethearts. We met uh, in a, um, at New London Spicer, and we got married in 1990. And our first child um, was due to be born the end of September. And he was, the baby was two and a half weeks late. And I can remember the excitement as uh, that morning I left for work and he'd, he'd been kicking. And you could see his little foot or his fist punching mom in the stomach um, from the inside. And the anticipation, because she was in labor, the anticipation and the excitement that uh, today was going to be the day at some point. Um, the anticipation of that, uh, welcoming him into our lives uh, for the first time, quickly turned to horror as during labor <clears throat> we realized that, uh, that, jo- that we lost Jordan, our little baby boy, and our hearts splintered into a million pieces. That was a hard, hard time. Almost, th- it was just over 30 years ago now. Two years later, almost the same thing happened again. And our, and I can remember crying out to God, please, please God, not, not, not again. Please don't. Please, please not again. And Brian Christian was born. Um, and the sounds of a baby, uh, the, the incredible joy and love that that brought. <clears throat> and then a couple years after that, three years after that, our little peanut was born, Megan. And when Megan was five years old, um, she, around five years old, she informed Ginny and I that she was going to go to Africa to tell people about Jesus when she got older. And, you know, I mean, little kids, right? We should take them seriously, but but I didn't. Um, you know, some kids want to be a firefighter. Some want to be a teacher. Some want to be president. Some want to be a policeman. Some want to be a missionary. And uh, and so we humored that. Um, and as time went along, when Megan was around 15 years old, she came to us and she informed us that she had more clarity in her heart's call to Africa and that she was going to go to Somalia to tell people about Jesus. And I went, Somalia? I don't think so. Um, and she went, yeah, that I'm being called to Somalia. I went, eh, no, no, I, I don't think so. Um, God is not calling you to Somalia. Um, that's... Um, it's crazy. Uh, you going to Somalia is a death sentence. God is not calling you to Somalia. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, you don't own me. You don't own me, Dad. I don't belong to myself, I belong to Jesus. And if I die a martyr in Somalia, that's okay, because I belong to Jesus. Or if I die 
If I live to be 100 and die of old age, that's okay because I belong to Jesus. Well, I wasn't okay with that. Um, and so time went on. She was still my kid. Uh, she was 15 years old. Um, and she graduated from Ridgewater. And I, uh, when she graduated from Ridgewater at 19, um, she came to Ginny and I again and informed us, didn't ask us, she informed us that she had accepted an internship with Family Life in Arkansas. And one of the catches to it was she needed to raise support like a missionary typically does. And so she, I knew exactly what was happening. Um, I don't know if she did, but I knew that the ultimate destination wasn't family life in Arkansas, it was Somalia. And so I wasn't an eager participant in her raising money. But over the next few months, she did. She shared her heart with people, and she raised the support to become an intern at uh, Family Life in Arkansas. And sure enough, well, the day that she was going to leave, uh, my wife and kids were going to take her to Arkansas. And uh, I can remember that day, the big white van outside, everyone getting ready to get in. And I walked up to Megan, and I gave her a hug, fairly quick one, as I remember, a kiss on the forehead, and I love you. And I turned and I went back into the house. And that, that was a hurtful thing for her because it looked like I didn't really, it wasn't bothering me that she was moving on. She was moving out. Um, what she didn't know is that I barely made it into the house. And I collapsed on the floor, kitchen floor, sobbing. And I said, God, you can have anything, but you can't have my little girl. You can't have my little girl, God. It's too much. The cost is too high. And as I lay there, I was reminded of a conversation years earlier. Dad, you don't own me. You don't own me, Dad. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. As a follower of Christ, she knew that she wasn't her own. She'd been bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, verses 34 through 37 Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you have to benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? My little girl understood that. And on that kitchen floor, I had to surrender her to Jesus. I had to give up what was never mine to give up. And so she went off, and sure enough, a year later, she came back in a phone conversation with Ginny and I while she was in Arkansas and informed us that she was going to missionary school. Um, And what's funny is, a year earlier, I was 
nope, no way. And now I was okay with that. Um, she didn't belong to me. She never did. And so she went to missionary school for six months, and it was a very intensive, uh, very intensive six months. And at the end, they encourage you to come home and rest for a little bit while you reaffirm your call, the call of your life, in your life, and reaffirm that the direction that God wants you to go. And so Megan came home to rest and wait on God. And in that time of rest, um, she realized that God had brought Somalia to Wilmer. And so in that process of me having to let go of something that never belonged to me, God brought it back around, and I've been blessed with an incredible relationship with my adult daughter um, and the passion and love that she has for her Savior. <clears throat> and so Philippians 2.12 says, reminds us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't let it be lip service. He wants us to have an authentic relationship with him so that no matter what comes in life, we choose Jesus. And each day, we need to remind ourselves of that. My friend Ryan Block at Recovery Church often reminds me, Brian, the first thing that I need to do each day whenever I wake up is to surrender my will and day to Jesus. Because if I don't, Ryan takes over. Brian takes over. And so I need to surrender my life each and every day. And it's in the surrendering daily and living out, loving Jesus, loving others, and teaching others to love Jesus, that we can be prepared as an open-door family who loves our kids, loves other people's kids, that we can be prepared that no matter what tomorrow brings, we'll choose Jesus. Others will choose Jesus, no matter the cost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this, uh, this honor and blessing that you've given, that uh, we can share testimonies of your goodness, of your faithfulness in our lives. You've always been faithful, God, and you always will be faithful. And with our very lips, I pray that each of us as Christ followers will have that same fire in our soul that the early church did, that we can't help but say, come and see what Jesus has done. Come and see what he's done in my life. I can't help but praise his name. I pray that for each of us as followers of you, Jesus. And I pray for each and every person that we have yet to meet at Open Door and in our own lives outside of the church, that we will share the good news of Jesus Christ and that there will be a great awakening within each soul that we come to know and share the good news of Jesus with. In Jesus' precious holy name. 
Amen.